Lord, we thank you that you have given us a day that we can look forward to. I mean, we can look forward to a lot of things, Father, but that day will come when you will make everything right. When you will make everything beautiful. Your word in Ecclesiastes tells us that you've placed eternity in our hearts. Because we need to know, Father, that this is not the world we were made for. That we're not home. We are pilgrims passing through with a mission to accomplish. But that day is coming. Oh, we pray it soon, Father, we pray it soon. But one day, when we see you face to face, I pray, Father, as you seek, as we seek you in your word tonight, that we would draw close to you, that we would hear your voice, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we were introduced to the prophet Elijah in quite an amazing way. We saw God miraculously provide for him, which is going to happen again. And then God miraculously provided for him and the household of the widow of Zarephath. Then God used Elijah to raise the widow's son from the dead. And if that wasn't good enough, this week gets even better. Now, chapter 18 and chapter 19, um, they really go together. Because chapter 19 is what happens after chapter 18. But there's just too much in each. So we're going to do chapter 19 next week. And then maybe, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll finish off 1 Kings the week after. Um, but for tonight, 1 Kings in chapter 18 and verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in the land in Samaria. Sorry, And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went the other way by himself. So the three and a half years of the drought and famine is coming to an end. And God sends Elijah to Ahab to declare that he was going to send rain on the earth. Now, I think it's wonderful to notice that Elijah heard the voice of the Lord. Uh, we're going to talk about this, oh, so much more next week. But we can't hear God's voice if we don't listen. I mean, I know that sounds kind of simple, but it's true. And there's so many things in this world that try to distract us from hearing his voice. Uh, and, and, you know, if you ever really you open your Bible, you listen to a sermon, you can pray. But we got to get rid of all the noise if we're going to hear him. Now, Ahab and Obadiah, 
Obadiah was in charge of Ahab's house, and they go looking for somewhere to graze the livestock so they don't have to kill the horses and mules. Now, Obadiah was courageous. He had some chutzpah because he hid a hundred of God's prophets when Jezebel ordered them killed, and he cared for them while they were hidden. So that leads me to a question. Why would Ahab allow his wife to order the murder of the prophets of God? That boggles my mind. I mean, how afraid was he of his wife? I bet Ahab didn't have a beard. <laughs> Unless Jezebel said it was okay. I, I don't know. I'm just saying, I, I, he's the king. And he finds out that his wife is ordering the prophets of God murdered. Why doesn't he do something about it? I don't have the answer to that. Now, Jewish tradition tells us that this is the same Obadiah who wrote the book of Obadiah and the Minor Prophets later on. Uh, We can't actually prove that because there were five or six other people named or men named Obadiah in the Old Testament. Um, But the Jewish people were so meticulous in caring for their scriptures. I imagine if they think this is the same Obadiah, probably is. Verse 7. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here... He took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here. He's going to kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. I really like this scene. Obadiah comes out, he sees Elijah, and Elijah says, all right, go get Ahab, tell him I'm here. And he, what are you talking about? If I go tell Ahab you're here, and then you're not here when he gets back, he's going to kill me. What have I done to you? What have I done to you? Didn't you hear what I did for the prophets? Come on. And so Elijah goes, nope, go get him. I'll be here. And so Obadiah goes to get Ahab, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Verse 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In verse 20, Ahab does it. 
I like that he causes, calls Elijah a troubler of Israel. The word troubler there literally means one who stirs up. So how was Elijah stirring things up in Israel? Well, honestly, he was, he was because he was sharing God's truth and it was unpopular with the king and a number of the people. In Acts 5.28, the apostles were accused of filling Jerusalem with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Later on in Acts, chapter 17, verse 6, Paul and his companions are accused of being the ones who turned the world upside down when they were in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Wow. I want to be that kind of trouble causer. I want people to be mad at me because I tell them the truth. Okay, I don't want people to be mad at me, but if they get mad at me because I tell them the truth, okay. I was listening um, listening to uh, uh, an interview, not an interview, a sermon, actually, John MacArthur. And he had done an interview with Ben Shapiro. And uh, Ben Shapiro had asked him at one point, he goes, do you enjoy offending people? Because he goes, you know, a lot of people are offended by you. John MacArthur's answer was, no, I don't enjoy offending people. And he goes, and I don't go out of my way to like personally offend people. But if I tell the truth and they're offended by the truth, I can't help that. I feel the same way. Elijah takes no guff from Ahab. I love this. He tells him, you want to know what? You're the problem. I'm not the problem. You're the problem. Because you and your father's house have forsaken the commandments of God and you brought in the worship of Baal. So he says, this is what you're going to do, Ahab. Gather all Israel, 850 false prophets, right? 450 of Baal, 400 of Asherah, who Jezebel was taking care of and bring them to Mount Carmel. And Ahab does this in verse 20. It says, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Which shows that despite his wickedness, Ahab feared Elijah. Now, I mentioned this earlier, and it's not in my notes, and I can't remember where it's at. It's in the book of Proverbs, so if you read the whole book of Proverbs, you'll find it. It says, the fear of man causes a snare. I think Ahab had an unreasonable fear of other people. I think he led his wife, and I, you know, there's nothing that says this, but I think he let his wife kill the prophets because, well, he didn't want to say anything. He didn't want to cause trouble. He didn't, oh, he didn't want to upset anybody. He didn't want to make his wife angry. Here, Elijah says, go get all these people. Well, well, okay, sure, okay, I can, I can do that. You know, I'm sorry, but he's the king. He could go, listen, dude, I'm the king. I ain't calling nobody to Mount Carmel. You want to do something? Come up to Samaria or come up to wherever I'm, you know, wherever he was staying at the time. I think Ahab struggled with the fear of man. Verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel, and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, 
And let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of Jehovah. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Right? This sounds like a good plan. Elijah lays down the challenge. He tells the people, you have to choose. You either follow God or you follow Baal. Stop faltering between the two. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, we are given the same choice every day. Will we serve God or something else? Maybe money, maybe pleasure, maybe our career, maybe our own selfish ambition. Fill in the blank. But the fact of the matter is, we can only serve one master. That's why Joshua said in Joshua 24, 14, and 15, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this is a challenge that's been laid down before Israel for hundreds of years at this point. You can only pick one. You can serve the false gods of Egypt. You can serve the false gods of your father. You can serve the false gods of the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the the other people. (laughs) I don't remember all of them. Or you can serve the Lord. But you can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. I do like, just in case you've ever wondered, uh, Matthew 6.24 is an excellent verse to refute polygamy. Because men, we can't serve more than one wife because we can't serve two masters. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. The challenge is simple. Elijah says, you know what? I'm the only prophet of God. You take a bull, I'll take a bull. We'll put him on the altar But don't light a fire. You call to your God, I'll call to mine. Whoever answers by fire is God. And all the people agree. Verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given oops, which was given them, and they prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning, even till noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, This is why Elijah is one of the best in all of Scripture. Well, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's meditating, maybe he's busy, maybe he's on a journey, 
Maybe he's sleeping and you, and you need to wake him up. So they cried aloud and they cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, oh, I'm going to stop there, sorry. I'm going to stop there. So Elijah allows the false prophets to go first. They pick their bowl, they prepare it, no putting any fire under it. And so they begin their rituals. And I, I always find it interesting. Um, and we're going to see more of this in the next chapter. Is that we think, you know, that we have to be, we have to do something to get God's attention. Right? Leaping about, jumping on the altar, cutting themselves, all of these rituals. It says until the blood gushed out. And it was pointless. Now, I'm not saying we can't be expressive in worship or, or anything of the sort. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, who are you doing it for? I don't think they were doing it for their God. I think they were doing it to show how devoted they were. Now, I will bring up one quick point, because I always like to bring up this point when I have the opportunity. Um, the cutting here that they're talking about. This is what was meant by making no cuttings in the flesh. Or some translations say tattoos in Leviticus 19.28. Modern tattoos, if they are gotten as part of some pagan, um, if they are not gotten as part of some pagan worship ritual, are not what is being talked about in Leviticus. It's what's on display here by these false prophets. Uh, it's essentially they believed their gods required a blood sacrifice and they were giving it. Um, human blood sacrifice. Now, I'm not saying you have to get a tattoo. Um, but hey, if you want to, I'll go with you. <laughs> In case you didn't already love Elijah, his beautiful sarcasm is on full display. I think sarcasm may be my love language. Um, and it's also possible that sarcasm may be a spiritual gift. But Elijah mocked them. First, cry aloud, for he is a god. Elijah knew full well that he wasn't a god. He knew no one was really there. Maybe he's meditating. Now, I love this because the New King James is really nice about the way these couple verses are translated. Maybe he's meditating. That's not what the word means. Right? Because when we think to meditate, we think you know, we're sitting silently, maybe focused on a, on a prayer or focused on a verse. The word here means talking to oneself out loud. So right, he, doesn't, he didn't really say maybe he's meditating. You know, maybe he's just up there having a conversation with himself, and that's why he can't hear you. Maybe he's busy. This is the best one. Because the word busy there means that he might have been relieving himself. He's literally suggesting to the 450 false prophets, maybe your God's in the can. He's got a magazine out, the candle's lit. That's why he can't hear you. He's got to wait till he opens the door. Or maybe he took a nap. You know, maybe he just got tired. He laid down and he took a nap. Uh, the word there for sleep can also mean lazy or slack. Uh, so he may have just been saying, you know what, maybe your God is just lazy. That's why he's not answering. Psalm 121.1 says that the Lord of Israel neither slumber nor sleeps, which I really like. 
The rituals went on all day until the time of the evening sacrifice when God was to receive a sacrifice, but no one answered. Now, even though uh, all worship was essentially Satan worship, Satan is not a god of any kind and therefore could not answer. Also, Satan is bound by the limits the one true God places on him. Uh, You can go read the first couple chapters of Job and see that. And therefore, he can do nothing. So, you know, I think someone can be very religious, but have nothing to do with God. Right? I don't think anybody would have doubted these 450 false prophets' devotion or their, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not devotion. Dedication and devotion is the same thing. Maybe. Piety is not a bad word. Whatever the case, nobody would have doubted them. Nobody would have looked at them and said, oh, you don't really believe in this. Yeah, they really believed in it. But they believed in nothing. This is why when someone says they are spiritual, have you ever had that? You walk up to somebody, you try to talk to them about Jesus. Oh, you know, I'm a spiritual person. Great. Or my other favorite one. Well, I believe in God. Well, okay, which one? I mean, I know there's only one true God, but what that person defines as God is probably way different than what the Bible teaches us about who God truly is. And that's why I don't think it's enough. We have to be very specific. That's why I love to ask people, oh, you know, I tried to talk to them. Well, you know, I believe in God. Okay, but do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Well, you know, I, I, I just think that's, maybe that's your way, but I think there's many ways to God. No, there's not. Jesus said there's only one way to God. And that's him. What a person worships is often what that person becomes like. When you worship something false, you become false. When you worship Jesus Christ, you will become like him. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 29. Elijah's turn. So midday was passed. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Verse 30. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And if you don't remember, we talked about this way back in Genesis. Uh, But the name Israel means governed by God or ruled by God. So Jacob's original name, supplanter or liar, uh, was changed to one who would be governed or ruled by God. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time. Then they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench of water. 
And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God and Israel. And I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Literally, Jehovah, he is God, or Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. I like Elijah's turn. So he calls all the people, sets up the altar, prepares the bowl, digs a trench, and orders it covered and filled with 12 water pots. Now, water pot is a very vague word. These were actually barrels of water, right? You're talking um, like a 55, 60-gallon drum, four of them. Pour four on. Do it again. Do it a third time. I, I mean, by the time he was done, let's say they were 50 apiece to make the math easy on me. 200 gallons, 600 gallons in total. 600 gallons of water he dumped on this. The wood was soaked. What happens when wood is really wet? You can't light it on fire. The trench was filled with water. The bowl was soaked. And he calls out, to God. I love Elijah's prayer. It boils down to this. He prays to God and he says, first, show them your God. Show them that I'm your servant and I did this because you told me to and turn them back to yourself. Right? It's pretty straightforward. And God responds with fire and he consumes everything. And I love that description in verse 38. The fire fell. It consumed the burnt sacrifice. That would be enough. And it consumed the wood. Okay, that makes sense. Fire consumes wood. And the stones. Fire doesn't consume stone. And the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people see it, they fall on their faces and declare that Jehovah is God And Elijah commands all the false prophets of Baal to be captured and then executes them all. It would appear from the language in this verse that Elijah is the one that killed them. That he chopped off their heads or however he did it, that he was the one who actually executed them. So what do we see from Elijah? We see great faith, obedience to the word, Then we see sarcasm. Then we see prayer. And then we see him kill, execute 450 false prophets. What a day for good old Elijah. Verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Now remember, 
It had not rained in three and a half years. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Why? If Ahab, just why is Ahab listening to Elijah? He doesn't have to. He doesn't clearly doesn't actually fear God. He doesn't care about the one true God. He doesn't care about the commandments that God has given. He's afraid of him. But why does he listen? But Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And then he did it again. It says he did it seven times. He said, Go again. So, so he prays, right? We do not have Elijah's prayer recorded for us. But he prays, because it's time for it to rain. Servant, go look. There's nothing. He comes back. He prays. Servant, go look. Comes back. There's nothing. He prays. Servant, go look. Comes back. There's nothing. Then it came to pass, verse 44, the seventh time. And I'm thinking the servant's like, dude, I'm tired of going and looking at the ocean. And maybe Elijah's thinking, Lord, you said it was going to rain. I keep praying. I don't see nothing. But the servant goes. And he says, there is a cloud, as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Talk about faith. I mean, how incredible is that faith? Right? I see a cloud, size of a man's hand off in the distance. And Elijah goes, all right, tell Ahab the deluge is coming. There's a cloud, a cloud. Often it might not even come. Right? It might go somewhere else. But Elijah says, nope, there's the cloud. That's now it's time. Go tell Ahab he better head back before the rain stops. Right? Because if it's raining enough and the water, the ground gets all muddy, chariots don't roll very well. So it happened in the meantime, verse 45, that the sky became black with clouds. And wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. We'll get to that verse in a second. I love that verse. So Elijah tells Ahab to go have something to eat, right? It had been a long day. Clearly Ahab was probably in a pretty rotten mood because he's going to have to go home and tell his wife what happened. Um. Elijah goes to the top of the mountain, prays seven times till he sees the cloud. And then he tells Ahab, you better get going, right? Because if, if you don't get going, the rain might stop you. And then Elijah girds up his loins. Now remember, they all wore robes. And to gird up your loins meant that you would take your robe and you would gather it. You'd actually pull it between your legs, pull it up, and then take your belt and tie it around your waist, kind of turning your robe into shorts. And for some reason, Elijah, because we're not even told, it says that the hand of the Lord was upon him, but it didn't say that the Lord told him to do this. Elijah runs a full half marathon and a little more. It's 15 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. And he beats Ahab there, who was in a chariot that was being pulled probably by at least two horses. But we're, that doesn't come back, Right? You, you look right ahead to chapter 20 or chapter 19 and it says, and Abab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, right? But this is never addressed here again. It's never addressed anywhere why 
Elijah ran 15 miles to beat Ahab back to the city. And it doesn't really bother me. It's just, these are the things that plague my mind when I can't sleep. And I'm like, but why? Right? And we don't, we don't get the answer. God didn't give us the answer. Because it's not like he got there and Elijah spoke to Ahab before he went and talked to his wife or proclaimed something to the city. Right? We don't see any of it. And maybe he did that. I don't know. We just don't see it. It's interesting, though. But this is why we continue in prayer. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serving? Could you imagine how rotten that father would be? Daddy, I'm hungry. Here, gnaw on a rock. Daddy, I'm, uh, can, can we have fish for dinner? No, but here's a snake. Right? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And I love this. What if... Elijah had stopped at six. Would God have brought rain? He said he was going to bring rain. But what if Elijah had stopped at six? I think to uh, Naaman, uh, the leper, who came to Elisha. And we'll, we'll read about that in 2 Kings. Um, and he said, go dip in the river seven times and you'll be clean. Right? And this general strips down and maybe naked, maybe just, a, you know, some kind of undergarment and dips once, twice, three, four, five, with all of his servants looking at him like, dude, what is he doing? Has the general lost his fruit? But what if he'd stopped at six or it stopped at five? I always think about that because I think there's a lot of times that we give up. And it's not that God doesn't want to answer the prayer. It's not that God has decided that we don't get it, right? And, and maybe he said no, and if he says no, then we stop. <laughs> right? Maybe he said wait, and then we keep praying. But I think there's so many people that fall short because they give up. They're, they're not willing to wait for God's timing. They're not willing to continue in prayer. So it would appear then that there was a brief spiritual revival among the children of Israel, but it was not long lived. It was only on the surface and it did not go down into their being, leading to a changed heart. Too many people today will say that they have some kind of relationship with God or they'll say that they believe in God. But the question that we can ask then that we have to ask ourselves is has that relationship changed us? Is that relationship changing us now? Are we being conformed into the image of Christ and transformed by the work of His Spirit? 2 Corinthians 3.18 and 
Philippians 3.21 are good spots to go look at that. But if there's no change, right? Well, I go to church, you know, and, and I put my check in the plate, and I, so I'm going to heaven. That's a false hope. Because when you place your faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, there will be change. Now, I am not saying this to be legalistic. Nor am I saying this, you know, that if you blew it this week or you blew it last week or you blow it tomorrow, that, oh no, all, all that work has been undone, right? Our stupidity cannot undo the good work of God. For which I am very grateful. Right? There's a quote that floats around the internet that said, when God called you, he factored in your stupidity ahead of time. <laughs> Praise God. Right? And, and it's not, you know, am I as good as you or are you as good as me? People do not use me as your measuring stick. I am not the standard. It's another good reason to praise God. But the question I, I tend to ask myself when I think about this, am I different than I was six months ago? Or a year ago? Or five years ago? Or ten years ago? And if you are, praise God. He's doing the work. Doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. And none of those mistakes are ever going to stop him from loving us. For which I also praise him. But is that change happening? It's interesting to note, and this is where we close, that whenever we experience a spiritual victory, that quite often... Our enemy is waiting to try to bring us down. Have you ever noticed that? Am I the only one? Right? Elijah prayed and stopped the rain. He had miraculous provision. He raised a child from the dead by God's power. Then he mocks 450 prophets and God protects him. Then God answers by fire and he kills the 450 prophets. Elijah, then he runs 15 miles just for the fun of it. He was on a spiritual high. Just an absolute spiritual high. And every year at camp, we tell the kids the same thing. You've had an amazing week and we're so happy for you. When you get home, Satan's going to try to take it away. He's going to try to destroy what God has done. Now, Satan can't destroy the work of God, but man, he can make our lives very miserable when he gets to it right but you would look at you would look at elijah and think man he's just standing there like all right what's next let's do this thing you want me to kill jezebel i already got the sword still got all her prophet's blood on it but instead when we get to chapter 19 jezebel says i'm gonna kill you ah! and he runs We'll talk about that next week. It does lead, of course, to Elijah having an amazing encounter with God. But until then, let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for your word. You told us that these things were written for our benefit. You told us that every part of the word 
is beneficial for us. And so, God, I pray that we would learn today that whatever it is from this lesson that you need each of us to take home with us, that your spirit would quicken our hearts and minds, bring it to our remembrance, and help us by your grace to walk it out. Pray that you would be with us the rest of this week. Pray you'd watch over those who aren't here with us tonight or those who are online. Pray, Lord, that you'd be with Calvin and help him feel better. Pray, Father, for the peace of Jerusalem. In Jesus' name, amen.